So it's been a phenomenal journey, but we're going to wrap it up this Sunday. And I'm going to try to be brief. I know that's a massive statement for me to make, but I am going to try. Um, and here's why I think we could do that. It's because this last portion, these last few verses, are basically just instructions. They're basically instructions. They are Paul's final instructions to the church in Thessalonica, final instructions to us. And so they are made up of do this or don't do this. Do this or don't do this. But here's the thing. It's usually those that are really, really, really hard to obey. It, sometimes we tend to think it's like, no, 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 it's a predestination that's going to trip us up. You know, it's, it's this whole idea of election that's going to trip us up, but it's not. It's actually the simple do this, don't do this. Those are usually the, the tough ones to follow. And so we're just going to navigate through them. And then we'll land the plane where, uh, in a benediction, something beautiful where Paul uh, prays a blessing over the church of Thessalonica. But I believe, again, he prays that blessing over us. And so like we always do, I'm going to read it. I believe it will be up on the screen. And then I'll pray for us. I ask that you pray for me that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. And so First Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll read from verse 12. Hear these words of our Father. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Just until then, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's rich and that it continues to work. It continues to convict. It continues to transform the hearts of people. And so would this very word do that here this morning? Would our hearts be softened so that you might enter in? That We might realize that we are in desperate need of a Savior and that Savior is you. I pray against any distractions here this morning so that we might see you for who you are. And so it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body Think through my mind. Speak through my vocal cords. Those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our Redeemer. You are our King. Would you have your way in this place this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So final instructions. Paul starts by saying, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you, in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, there's a few things happening here, all right? There's a few things happening here. Paul is asking that the church would respect those who labor among them, but he's specific. He says, I want you guys to respect those who are in leadership. I want you to respect those who are in leadership. Why? Because they are the ones who are willing to admonish you. Now, this word admonish uh, simply means to rebuke, to give caution, to warn, to reprimand. 
So we are to respect those who are willing to enter into those spaces and go, hey, listen, Christian, you are not supposed to live that way. If you have crossed the line of faith, you are not supposed to live that way. Now, that's an uncomfortable place to be. It really is. And so many of us, we just don't want to enter into those spaces. We don't want to have those conversations because it's an uncomfortable place to be. But Paul says, no, respect them. Those who labor among you and are over you, but listen to the, the key phrase here, in the Lord. They are over you in the Lord, that they are, have submitted to the Lord before coming to you to say, listen, I am here to lead, I am here to shepherd. And so we are to be careful. We are to be careful of those who want to be over us but are not in the Lord. They are seeking praise for themselves rather than glorifying God. This happens over and over and over again in the church. People want to lead from a, a title as opposed to leading from a place of devotion, that they have anchored themselves in the Lord, and then they come before God's people and say, this is what we believe the Lord has called us to. This is where He wants us to go. He goes on to say, and esteem, this word esteem is to give honor. Honor them highly in love. Why? Because of their work. Not because of their title, but because of their work. Friends, I want to say to you this morning that there are so many people who operate in this kind of leadership, in these roles. They do so much, so much work. They put uh, so much effort into putting this, making this happen. They show up here at 7, 7.15, 7.30 in the morning. They're not leading from a position of title but rather they're doing it because they found themselves anchored in the Lord. They found themselves anchored in the Lord. And so Paul says that we are to honor them, not glorify them. There's a massive difference. We glorify God, but we honor those who are in leadership, those who submit to the Lord because of their work. Because they come in day and night seeking to glorify the Lord. And so they work. They work hard for the Lord, for the kingdom of God. Not for their own benefit. Not that, so that their name would be put up in lights. No, so that, that God's people would see God for who He is and glorify Him. So that they might serve Him. So that they might participate in the great mission that God is on. So Paul says it. Respect them. Honor them. But we must be careful. Church, we must be careful. And I'm, and I'm saying this to you so that you might examine me. Examine me, my life. That I'm not leading from a, a, a place of a title, but rather I'm leading because I, I've submitted myself to the Lord. And so I get to serve among you. I get to serve among you, with you, alongside you. Examine my life. Examine the lives of those who are in positions of leadership, whether it's in the band, whether it's making coffee, whether it's the production team, whether it's your city group facilitator. Examine their lives. 
And where they are out of step, you call them back into the gospel. You remind them that they are there to serve the Lord first. They are to anchor themselves in Him. Only then, only then will we then respect and give honor. But then Paul goes on to say, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. We desperately need to hear this, especially as a transcultural church. Because the danger is we will maybe want to tolerate one another, right? With all our differences. It's easy just to tolerate one another, to come into this space and be like, okay, you are different and you're going to do things differently. Gosh, I really want to be here, but I don't want to engage. I'll just tolerate you. Or someone will say something that rubs you the wrong way. And instead of seeking peace, instead of engaging, you go, you know, I'm just going to tolerate you. I don't have to talk to you. There's like a whole bunch of other people here. There's a group of people that like the things that I like, and so I'll hang out with them. Where the scripture tells us time and time again that we are to be peacemakers. We are called to be peacemakers. And so that means we're called to engage Engage in those tough times, those tough conversations. Don't just tolerate one another. If you think, if you're here at Rooted Fellowship and you're like, listen, man, I've just been through uh, just an incredible time of, of wrestling with someone and trying to figure out how we're going to live together because we're so different, but then you got over it and you think, yes, we've made it. It's going to happen again. Put your seatbelt on. It's going to happen again. By mere fact that we are different, that we are transcultural. Every time you think you've gotten over one hump, another one comes up. It's like, oh, I, I didn't know you liked that. Like, that kind of, like, seriously, how can you listen to that person? And so we are to seek peace with one another. And that means we're going to have to engage. We're going to have to enter into those uncomfortable places because I, I say it again, Scripture says that we are to be peacemakers. We are to be peacemakers. And then verse 14, he kind of unpacks a, a little bit of what that looks like. And so he says, we, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. The idol here is not uh, I-D-O-L. It's not this thing that we worship, but it's, it's, this, it's those who are lazy. Those who just want to coast. Remember, this word admonish is to rebuke, is to give caution, is to reprimand, it's to warn. Admonish the idol, those who just kind of want to chill. Those who are like, listen, this is really cool. I get to be a part of a transcultural community. I get to tell all my friends, man, our church is unbelievable. We sing songs in the vernac. It's amazing. Afrikaans songs, I'm telling you. But yet you do nothing to grow this. You do nothing to, to want to see this to flourish. You're comfortable just showing up and sitting at the back or in the front some of y'all are sitting at the back. He's like, is he talking about me? Like, it's just easy to coast. You know, just to show up and be a part of what God is doing, but not really labor, not really work. And so Paul says, admonish them. 
warn them. Remind them that if they are in Christ, the love of God will compel them to want to serve. And so if they don't, then we must ask the question, are you in Christ? Admonish the idol. But let me say this to those who think they have the gift of admonishment. So I know there's some people there that just want to feel like, after the service, I know who I'm going to. Listen, <laughs> stop coasting. If, if you're going to admonish someone, just make sure that you know their name. Make sure you know their story. Have you engaged with that person? So often we just want to go to people. It's like, well, I've seen you in the back row. I've seen you sitting on the steps week after week. So I'm here to admonish you, but I have no idea who you are. I don't know where you are in this journey in trying to understand who Christ is. I just feel like I'm here to admonish you. Be very careful. Be very careful. And so again, there's this call to engage, to get to know one another. Paul then says, encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted, this is the, the timid, the, the fearful, the vulnerable. Notice it's different. We're called here to encourage them. Many who are sitting here wrestling with guilt and shame because of what they've done or what's been done to them. And so they're not, they're not idle, but rather faint-hearted. They're fearful. And so Paul says that we are to encourage, we are to come alongside them, to love them, to show grace, to point them to Jesus. That you don't need to carry that guilt or shame. Jesus died for that. Encourage them. And then he says that we are to help the weak. To help the weak. Now, this weakness could be physical weakness, emotional weakness, mental weakness, financial weakness, spiritual weakness. The list goes on and on and on. We're just told to help the weak. In fact, the Bible has some strong words about this. Proverbs 14 verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Just got uncomfortable, right? Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. He honors him. There's that culture of honor again. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Again, we're called to help the weak. Help the weak. I'll read this last one. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
We are called to help the weak. The weak. And again, this could be physically, mentally, emotionally, dare I say it, financially. As middle class South Africans, that's just kind of an area that we don't want to go into. We don't want to talk about that. Whether you're the one who is in need or the one who is called to meet the need. We just don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. I'll share everything else about my life. But it's like, yeah, I don't know if, I'm, if I can share that we're in desperate need, man. Just financially, things aren't going great. But yeah, Paul gives this instruction to the church. It's not to an individual. He gives it to the church. And he says, you are to help the weak. The only way that we can do that is to know the needs of others. Because if we don't, then we must ask this question, how can God's love abide in us? How can God's love abide in us? And so we are to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And then Paul says something that I wish he didn't say. Be patient with them all. Gosh, how I wish that wasn't there. Like I'm reading it and I'm just going, yes, 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 no. <laughs> Be patient with them all. I believe Paul says this because he knew the hearts of those in Thessalonica. In the same way, he knows our hearts now. God knows our hearts. At least he knows my heart. Because I don't want to be patient with the idol. I don't want to be patient with the faint-hearted. I don't want to be patient with the weak. All of that just takes up too much time. Let me be honest. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I just feel like be patient with them, then I'm going to have to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to have to stop what, what we are doing so that we might meet their needs. And so I don't want to be patient. I've said this before. Uh, this year, God has really revealed my lack of patience. In this church, in Rooted Fellowship, that's what He's revealed. He says, Honor, you, you don't have patience. You need to work on this. When I was in varsity, I was uh, in a discipleship group with a, a few guys, and we used to say this. Man, we were so pumped and so excited about what God was doing. Man, we were doing ministry. We were discipling guys. It was ridiculous. And then we'd say this about, about the idol or, or the faint-hearted or the weak. We'd say, listen, it's either you need to get on this bus or get off because we're going. I mean, that, that, that was our attitude. Get on the bus, get to work, or get off. And yet God says that we are to be patient with them all. We are to be patient with them all. That all of them are on a journey. It may not be where you are. Maybe you're further ahead. Everyone is on a journey and we are to be patient with them. It's this idea of long-suffering. That's what Paul is communicating here, this idea of long-suffering. And you want to know where... This is best developed, where long-suffering is best developed in discipleship. Discipleship. You're not going to get it at a seminary. You're not going to get it in a book. 
You're not going to get it in a, in a class. It's only in discipleship. And so what is discipleship? It's, it's journeying with a few for an extended period of time, pouring your life into theirs. Paul says it this way. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so it's looking to this few and saying, guys, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. It is not easy. It is not always fun. It is long-suffering. And so if you are to develop this, you need to enter into some discipleship relationships. And I'm not talking about, yeah, 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 I'm discipling a few people. I get to meet them once a quarter. That is not discipleship. Mentorship, maybe. Coaching, maybe. Is it important? Yes. Is it necessary? Yes. But it is not discipleship. If Jesus took three years, if Jesus took three years to hang out with 12 guys, to pour his life into them, then who are we to go, you know what, I can do it four times a year. I know Jesus, man, you, you were thinking the long game. I got this. Oh, and Jesus, you were doing that full time. Yeah, I, I work eight hours a day. Uh, I'm married, kid, you know, but I, I'll fit four in a year and then I'll kill this discipleship game. It's ridiculous to think that we can do that. That's why I believe that nowhere in Scripture does it say go and plant churches. This is how you're going to change the world. Go plant churches. It doesn't say that. Jesus says go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You want to be a part of what I'm doing? Go and make disciples. We sit here. If you have crossed the line of faith, it's because men and women have been faithful to the call of making disciples. And so the question is, are you willing to be a part of that? To be a part of that legacy? It's the only way that we can develop this long-suffering but hear this, it's worth it. It is so worth it. I know in the moment it just kind of feels like I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to hang out with these people anymore. Why? Because I don't want to be patient with the idol. I just don't. I don't want to show up to my group and hear you confess the same sin that you confessed last week. I just don't want to. I'm like, dude, come on, get a handle on it. But it is worth it. Two, three, four, five years from now, when that individual is now so anchored in the Lord that all they want to do is just glorify Him, it is worth it. The journey is difficult, but the destination is worth it. The destination is worth it. And so rooted, if we're going to develop this, this long-suffering, we need to enter into these discipleship relationships so that we might be obedient to what Paul is calling us to, and that is to be patient with them all. Verse 15, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. This is so countercultural to how we live, Right? Don't repay evil for evil. Because we love doing that. We love it so much that we create games around it. 
I kid you not. Bro, can you throw me that ball? Throw me the ball. Right? So there's this game where the music plays, all right? And, uh, and so you've got to pass the ball, right? But you can't have the ball when the music ends, right? So what do you do? Pass the ball. And so, oh, okay, I don't, I don't want this gossip, so I'll give it to you. Then what do you do? Oh, pass on hate? Oh, she hated you? Oh, you're going to hate me? Okay, what about you? Jealousy. Oh, jealousy just went over there. Oh, jealousy back to me. Why do I keep getting it? Let's go over there. <laughs> right? Evil for evil, bro. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Oh, passing on the evil to bears. Bears, what are you going to do? Evil? What are you going to do, buddy? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You almost had it. But because it's so countercultural, everyone, think about it, everyone just kind of laughed at him. It was like, at any point, anyone could have just gone, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. But we don't. We want to repay evil for evil. Oh, they're going to hate me? Well, then I need to pass on the hate to someone else. Oh, jealousy. Okay, cool. I'm going to pass the jealousy to someone else. When at any point you could just put the ball down. Just say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be a part of this. But rather, I want to seek to love, to forgive. But it's so countercultural because the world looks and goes, What are you doing? Did you just not see what they did to you? What they called you? And you go, No, not going to do it. You know who did that? Jesus did. He had every right to repay evil for evil. But he doesn't. He stops and takes the hit. He says, I'm not going to play this anymore. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. How crazy this would be if we did that. If the church did that. Man, we play this game with one another from denomination to denomination. How crazy would it be if we just said, you know what, no. We're going to love. We're going to show grace. We're going to forgive. The world would look and go, listen, there's something radically different about this community. Someone just posted some ridiculous stuff on Facebook. Don't go back and, oh, let me post. Seek to do good to everyone. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. I love how the older translations say, quench not the spirit. Sounds so higher grade English. Do not quench the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. So, so in the Scriptures, the, the Holy Spirit is kind of referred to as this consuming fire. And so Paul says, don't quench it, don't, don't put it out. But now if the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, all-powerful, then how on earth can we put out the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. What Paul is saying here is that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Christian. If you have crossed the line of faith, 
that you have the Holy Spirit in you and, and one of his roles is to convict you of sin. And I know that you have been in this place where you're kind of on the edge. You know that if you take that next step, you're entering into sin. So you're on the edge and you feel this tug, this slight tug that says, that says don't say that. Don't click on that website. Don't have that extra drink. But then you don't listen and then you just step over. I know we've all been there. I have. To quench the Spirit, to, to grieve the Spirit is to numb the Spirit's voice. When he says, don't do that, you are a new creation. Your life is now surrendered to Christ. You will not find satisfaction in that image. You will not find satisfaction in that extra piece of chocolate. Right? It's so easy to talk about like, oh, addiction to pornography. But many are addicted to chocolate and to food. Because they run to it hoping to find satisfaction in it. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't have chocolate. You should. But if you're hoping to find life in it, if you're hoping that it'll answer all your questions, that it'll make you feel better, the Holy Spirit is there to say, don't do that. And so when we quench the Spirit, when we grieve the Spirit, we numb His voice. We numb His voice. And so Paul says, don't, don't do that, but, but rather find yourself so deep in the Scriptures, as Christina said, in the deep end of the Scriptures, so that when the Spirit talks, you hear Him loud and clear. Now, I know, I know some of you all conservative Reformed people are like, hold on, wait, the Spirit talking to Like, what is He talking about? Is this charismatic? Is it Pentecostal? Yes, the Spirit speaks. To you, He might just do so through the Scriptures, but He speaks. And so if we do not want to grieve him, we must make sure that we find ourselves in the deep end of the scriptures. Do not quench the spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies. And I know all the charismatics in the room going, yes, prophecies. When are we doing it? But notice what, what follows. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Do we believe in prophecies? Absolutely. Because we believe God still works. Here's the ultimate prophecy. He's very word given to us. But Paul says, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. What he's saying is that we are to throw away everything that is not biblical. This is going to require discernment. We're to test the prophecies, that we're to bring them to the word and say, does this, does this add up to what the Bible says? I hear you saying that, brother. I hear you saying that, sister. You want to speak this truth into my life. But does it line up with the scriptures? Does it line up with the scriptures? And if it doesn't, then you're to throw it away. We should be like the good Bereans found in Acts 17 verse 11. It says, and the people of Berea were more more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Guys, I hope you do that with me. I hope you do that with anyone that stands up here and, and preaches God's word to you. 
That's why I encourage you all having your Bibles. I mean, we put it up on the screen, but sometimes I go to other passages that we don't have on the screen. I hope that you would check whoever is up here to make sure that what they are teaching is in line with the Scriptures. Because when we don't, we see some crazy things begin to happen with doom and disinfectant. Guys, it's, it's, it's nuts. I move from this is entertaining to this is, this, I'm, man, I'm about to do something that I don't want to do. Because it just shows, it just communicates that people don't know the Scriptures. That we have these itching ears. We're just ready to receive something that's cool and exciting. And so Paul says, guys, you need to test this. You need to test this. Be like the Bereans. Go home. Read the Scriptures. That's why we have city group. I encourage you to be a part of a city group because we go through what was preached on the Sunday. And one of the questions I ask in my city group is I go, hey, guys, what was something that you didn't disagree with or that you do disagree with? What's that thing that you disagree with that you felt like, mm, oh, yeah, I heard you say it this way, but listen, I looked at the Scriptures and this is what it says. Because I want to be tested. I need to be tested because left on my own, I will try to outthink the gospel. I'm just putting it out there. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And then he wraps up by saying, Verse 16, I missed a few verses. Y'all didn't say anything. No one's testing me. Are you guys not testing me? Verse 16, he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always. It's kind of a difficult thing to do. And here's why. It's because we, we, we anchor our joy on external factors. This is why this is a difficult thing to hear. To rejoice always is because we anchor ourselves in external things. What happens in the economy? What happens in politics? What happens at work? And those things go up and down every day. And so if you're going to anchor yourself in those things, hoping to find joy, you will never find it. But rather, as Christians, we are to anchor ourselves on what is internal, a Holy Spirit-infused joy that can only be found in Jesus. Pray without ceasing. Now, again, uh, this was kind of hard to look at. When I saw it for the first time, I was like, mm, how do we do that? Why should I be? Because it's hard because we, we pray because we want things. We think that's the, that's the primary reason for prayer is just to ask God for stuff. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. We should. Because Jesus says that we should. But I want you to understand something. When you pray, you're acknowledging that you are not in control. That's what happens. And that's why we only do it. Let me talk about me because y'all are perfect. That's why I only do it when I feel like I, 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 just, I, I don't know what to do anymore. It's when Amara's in the hospital. We've rushed it to emergency, and now I feel like I've got to pray because I, I don't know what to do. But, but in places where I feel like I've got control, I've got enough wisdom, I've got enough intellect, I've got enough resources to handle this, I don't even pray. I don't even seek the Lord. Because it's in those moments that I'm not acknowledging that He is in control, that He is all-powerful. And so we need to take a step back before we start asking for things. We need to go, listen, when I pray, when we pray, it's, we're acknowledging that we are not in control. That God is, and so we come to Him. We cry out to the one who is in control. 
I believe when we understand that, it'll change the way we pray. That even in the things where we feel like, you know what, I, I, got, that, I got that money in my pocket to handle the situation, but I'm still going to pray. Because God, you're in control of that money in my pocket. So you direct me. You tell me what to do with it. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then he says this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So many of us, we, we're always running around wondering, man, what does God want me to do? What, what, is, what is God's will for my life? Here it is. It's to rejoice always because, because you find your joy in what is internal. You, to pray without ceasing because you acknowledge that He is in control. And then to give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for your life. Everything else will flow from that. When you feel that you've got this, everything else will flow from that. You'll be able to walk into an economy that's not working and go, you know what, God's in control. The joy is found in me. Man, I'm going to give praise and thanks to Him. All right, let's go figure out this economy. Oh, marriage is difficult. You know what? Joy is found in the Lord and in Him alone. He is in control, I'm not. Lord, I want to give you thanks because you are seated on your throne fully in control. All right, let's try to sort out this marriage. Instead of scrambling and trying to figure out what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Why am I so sad? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And then verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of of evil. Every form of evil. If you're sitting here and you're wondering, oh, but what if I do that? No, every form of evil. Just add it to the every. We do that. I do that a lot. I go, man, I wonder if this is sin. Yes. If you're asking that, it probably is. Abstain from it. Now, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you should know that this is this is not just difficult, but this is impossible. This is impossible. To abstain from every form of evil, is, it's easier said than done. And if you swim in the Scriptures, you'll find that the only way that we can do this, the only way that this is even possible, is if we are anchored in Jesus Christ. If we put our trust in Him. This is why the cross is necessary. This is why at Rooted Fellowship, we will always point you to Jesus. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. And so the cross is necessary. The gospel is necessary. Only if we put our trust in Him do we stand a chance of, of being obedient to this. That without the gospel, we stand guilty and condemned before an almighty, holy God but in Jesus we are made perfect. And because we are made perfect, therefore we desire to live holy lives. And we wake up in the morning desiring to live holy lives, seeking to abstain from every form of evil. Because the gospel is at work in us. We so often forget this beautiful truth. We try to do it on our own. Whatever sin you're struggling with, if you've been struggling with it for a while, it's probably because you're trying to do it on your own. I'm going to abstain from evil, but I'm going to do it in my own strength. And then you're back at it again the very next day. It's because you've forgotten the beautiful truth that only in Christ are we able to do this. 
that we need to draw strength from Him. And so I want to leave us with this. As we enter in a time of Christmas, I know many of you are going to go home and you're going to have wonderful meals with family and friends. I want us to pause for a moment in this time. And just remember that that the cross is made possible because of the perfect birth of Jesus Christ. That if, if His birth was not perfect, then everything that follows after that would mean nothing. It's in the same way that, that the, the cross is possible, His death is possible because Jesus lived the perfect life. The life you and I could not live. Because if Jesus had sinned, then His death would mean nothing. And so I want to I read these words from Isaiah to close us. As we think about these instructions, these final instructions that Paul gives to the church, that he gives to us, things that if we were honest, we would say, listen, this is, this is impossible. This really is impossible. I want to remind us that God made a way. God made a way by sending His Son, Jesus. And this is how He was described. Isaiah chapter 9, from verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He is the one that we can run to, to seek advice, to seek counsel. Mighty God, that He is fully in control. He is fully in control. Some of y'all need to hear that. He is fully in control. He's the everlasting Father. That He brings us into a relationship with Him. That we get to call Him Papa. The intimacy that exists there. Prince of Peace, how we need to hear that. If we are to be a light to the city, to display what it means to be a transcultural community, what it means to reflect the kingdom of God, we need the Prince of Peace to be at the center of everything that we do. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over all his kingdoms, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That is who we celebrate this Christmas. That is who allows us to do what we are called to do, to be obedient to the Scriptures. It is the one who is seated on the throne fully in control. And so I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing one last song. But as I'm praying, I, I want you to sit there for a moment and, and, just, and just think to yourself, how do I see Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Is He just an add-on? Is He just a nice-to-have? Is He something that I, I, I do on a Sunday with a group of people? Or is He my everything? 
Is He the wonderful counselor? Is He the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father? Is He mighty? Is He really mighty and fully in control? And so, Father, we, we come to You as, as Your children, wanting to, to be in a deep relationship with You. Father, this has been an incredibly challenging year for many. Many have doubted. Many have been left wondering, do you care? Whether it's in the losing of loved ones, whether it's in the losing of jobs, just academics not going our way, entering into tough spaces, Father, help us to see that you are in control and that you do love us. And on top of that, that you are doing something in and through us. That we get to be a light to the city. And that people would look to us and, and they would ask the question, how on earth are they doing it? How is this even possible? How are they loving one another? We're out here repaying one another evil for evil, but they are loving one another. How is that possible? How are they patient with one another? It's because, Jesus, you are at the center of everything that we do. And this is our cry. We desperately need you. Today, tomorrow, next week, next year, we desperately need you. And so would you have your way with us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.